The following program, The Kitchen Table Progressives, is sponsored by The Kitchen Table Progressives and to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of News Web Radio Company or its management. Welcome to Kitchen Table Progressive. Paul Richardson here, inviting you to join us around the table for an hour of casual conversation on law, civics, and politics driving the current issues, where the menu is progressive and the table manners are unapologetically liberal. On the program this week, well, what a kooky week it was uh, this past week. Uh, I, I don't know where to start. Um, Rudy Giuliani is an absolute nut, right? That's... We might get to him. Uh, uh, the Republicans unanimously, all, whatever, 219 of them now voted to uh, open an impeachment inquiry on President Biden. Although, we uh, just said at the top of our news is that uh, people uh, in the Republican caucus felt like they were their arms were being uh, sorely twisted to breaking, breaking their arms. And then this crazy, wacky abortion case. Uh, I'm going to talk about abortion uh, in the in the second uh, segment. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll get to those topics. Um, well, you know, it's a week a week. Christmas Eve is a week away. And by the way, I wanted to let you know that uh, yours truly uh, will be hosting an extended uh, edition of Kitchen Table Progressive next Sunday on Christmas Eve. Uh, We'll be in here for the uh, the family the, the two hours uh, of the family meeting segment because they will be on vacation. We'll be a kitchen table progressive, so please join me. I have a, some things lined up. It, it'll be fun uh, for that. Things to talk about uh, the tradi- tradi- Christmas Eve traditions and the meaning of Christmas, and then another uh, surprise I won't mention right now, but uh, it's going to be fun for me to talk about. So. Uh, um, yeah, Christmas is coming up, and uh, how you doing? Are you getting close to starting? Some of you, uh, I'm pretty well, pretty well done, uh, except for wrapping a couple things. I, I don't have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of presents to wrap. I have one or two, maybe to send out, you know, uh, a gift to send out. But um, that's uh, pretty much all. Um, I think. <laughs> you know what? I'm a little out of it. Just. This Christmas season, I, I guess I, you know, if I if I don't get to you till like maybe, um, you don't get yours till after Christmas, or or, or maybe I don't remember till. I, I think as long as a Christmas co- a present comes, uh, if it's before Martin Luther King Day, it's it's in time. Okay, so I, I think that's that's okay. So, so, but let me uh, jump right into what I said I wanted to do last week, and I talked so much that I. I totally did a stu- I just talked over my opening segment, which is a, just dumb. Uh, my opening segment was I wanted to talk about the National Popular Vote Act. And so before I go too much further, let me talk about what that is. The National Popular Vote Act is a way of the states joining together to combine their popular votes for whoever, or their electoral votes, to, to combine their electoral votes for whichever candidate won the national popular vote. 
And so this is how it works. So it's, it's a, not too complicated, but so it's happening now. Uh, most of blue states have passed bills in their legislature. First thing that has to happen, the, the legislatures in blue states have to pass a law that go, that's signed into law by their governors that says that they will play, they will, they will, they will direct their electors to vote for whoever the winner of the national popular vote is. Okay, so doesn't matter who. It, it's just the, the legislatures will direct their elect, the electors that they send to the state capitals to, to elect or vote for the, whoever wins the popular vote. Now, because as I've, I've, I've said, I don't know how many times on this program, um, Article 2, Section 1, Paragraph 2 says, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the total number of senators and representatives in, to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. So that means you get every, every state gets two senators, so you get at least two electoral votes, plus however many congressional representatives in the, in the Congress you have. In Illinois, that's 18. There are 18 U.S. congressional districts in Illinois. Illinois has two senators, so... Illinois has 20 electoral votes. The legislatures can uh, have, since all, in all the states, since 1880, as I've also pointed out, um, directed that they, they can decide how to, how to choose electors. And since 1880, all the state legislatures have decided to choose electors by a popular vote of the people in their states. And consequently, there have been... Um, Two, two sets of ele- uh, two slates of electors, uh, potential electors, uh, in each state. So, in other words, uh, if because what the, also in forty eight of the fifty states right now, it's a winner take all. Which how, whoever won the popular vote in the state, say if that was President Biden and Joe Biden won in Illinois, then all of the electors uh, go to Joe Biden. Uh, even though we're talking about 18 legislative districts, even though Joe Biden may not have won all 18 districts in, in all 18 districts, probably didn't, probably didn't win in districts down in southern Illinois. But 48 of the 50 states now have winner take all. Uh, I believe it's Nebraska and Maine uh, actually assign that the legislatures have their they direct their electors to vote for which candidate won in the district which they represent. Okay, so in winner-take-all states, why do we have two slates of electors? Well, because the reason we have two slates of electors is that uh, um, the Constitution says doesn't require that the electors vote for anybody in particular. One, they don't have to prefer a party. They can vote their conscience, so to speak. So... Um, if the popular vote, say in Illinois, is Democratic for the Democratic candidate, then the the legislature will send the slate of electors that pledges to vote for the Democratic candidate. And if it's if if it's a Republican that won the state, then the Demo, the, the legislature sends the slate of electors that has pledged to vote for the Republican. That way, you're pretty certain that the electors that you send will vote for the candidate that 
what the legislature directs because they are not constitutionally bound to do that. They are pledged to do that when they're when they are put on the slate of electors. So that's why you do it. So right now in the National Popular Vote Act, what has to happen is you have to have enough states that will sign this into law that we finally get up to 270 electoral votes. Once we have enough states that add up to that, say Illinois, and I, I don't know if Illinois is signed on to it, you should check with your legislator, check with your state legislator, and also check with your U.S. congressional representative and say where, because first the states have to pass it, and, and the governor, Pritzker, would have to sign it into law, is that the legislature will direct the electors to vote for whoever wins the national popular vote. Uh, I know it's, as of, oh, for sure, as of last spring, like April or May, we were up to 195. And I think another one or two states have passed it in the meantime. So we are over 200. And given that the average number of elector, uh, electors uh, it's easy to figure it out. You just do 538. That's how many elect- electoral votes there are. And you divide by 50 and you get five, a 10.76, which is not a round number. But on average, that's the average number of electors in a state. 10.76 or 11, maybe. Let's just say 10.76. Just <laughs> say 11. But anyway, um, if we've had 20 states, we need to get to, um, we need to, get to 20 Six states. I think no matter how you slice it, you have to have it uh, half plus one to add up to 270. And once two, uh, enough state legislatures have passed it so it adds up to, because I think we're up to about 205 or 210 by now. Uh, once we get to 270, you see, uh, in terms of California, Oregon, Washington, Michigan, uh, Illinois, uh, the big blue states, have, I think, are pretty, pretty well underway. Uh, then, once we have enough that can, can, can do that, then, then the Congress has to pass it. It has to pass the U.S. Congress, because the Constitution says that states may band together in agreements, but it has to be approved by Congress. Now, um, so it has to pass state legislatures, and then it has to pass the U.S. Congress. And you think, well, okay, well, fat chance of that, right? It could pass your legislature, but wait a minute. Remember that even if it only takes 218 votes in the, in the uh, House to pass, right? Well, 270 um, electors represents, uh, well, let's say if that's, if that's 26 states, 52 of those are senators. So you already know that that's a majority in the Senate because 270 includes Remember, each state has two senators. If you've got 270 electoral votes, then you have the approval of states that equals at least 52 senators. And then you also, what's uh, 270 minus 52 is, bingo, 218. So you have enough. You have enough, put, theoretically, you have enough to pass, um, uh, you have enough to pass through Congress, the, uh, the National Popular Vote Act. You see how it works? So now the objections I've heard from people on the right is, well, but let's say, you know, Biden won, uh, or, or let's say Trump won Illinois. And, uh, uh, or, or, or the other part, let's say that, that um, the candidate that your, that your legislature is being directed to vote for didn't, didn't uh, 
didn't or, or was the other candidate won in your state? Uh, and they say then then electors would be forced to elect somebody who didn't win in their in their in their state or more 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 specifically in their district. But that's what we do now, right? Because when when President Biden won in Illinois, he didn't win in all 18 districts, as I pointed out. Yet, it's a winner-take-all. That's why, I remember I said, that's why you have the Democratic slate of electors. Because there are Democrats that in all 18 districts. So all of those Democrats, there's a Democrat that comes from each one of those districts. And so even though President Biden may not have won in a district in southern Illinois, a Democrat from that district will be will be put onto the Democratic slate of electors to vote for that candidate. So it's no different, really. It's it's kind of a, a hollow argument to say that uh, you know what it well. Then that would mean that in Missouri, if if Biden won Missouri, or if Biden Biden won the election by the popular vote, but he didn't win Missouri, if Missouri had passed the popular right uh, the right uh, popular vote act, national popular vote act, then they'd have to. They would have to vote for Biden, even though Trump won the state. Well, that's true, but he didn't win the whole state. He might have been, may have been heavily Trump, but uh, that's the way it is now. We only in Nebraska and Maine do they actually split it up so that uh, the 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 U.S. congressional districts vote for the the candidate that that won that district, and that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. But okay, so the question is. Uh, once we get 26 states, or essentially that, that adds up, those states add up to 270 electoral votes. They can, ple- they can pledge 270 electoral votes. Then it can go to the U.S. Congress, and the Congress has to pass it. Would this get rid of the Electoral College? As I said, no, it doesn't. It doesn't get rid of the Electoral College, so to speak, as they call it. And, and what we mean by the Electoral College is, again, exactly what I pointed out, the verbiage that's in uh, the Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, Paragraph 2, which starts out, each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. That's the Electoral College. Okay, so, no, it wouldn't get rid of that. It's just a way around it. It's a constitutional way around it. But I think that once we pass the National Popular Vote Act, which is a constitutional law, I think we're on our way to an amendment, a constitutional amendment to get rid of the electoral, to, to, to uh, repeal that part of uh, Article 2, that paragraph 2 of Article 2, to get rid of the Electoral College. Because I think that states will finally see, the ones that don't pass it will say, well, how come the, the people in the other states, their votes directly count, but ours don't? You see? And, but what it would require... Uh, in order to uh, get rid of the Electoral College, we would have to have an amendment. I think it would be the same amendment. We'd have to have a constitutional amendment to repeal uh, Paragraph 2 of Article 2, Section 1, and to uh, employ a, a, a National Right to Vote Act. A national right to vote for, by the people, because you don't have a right to vote for president. This was what we would have to have. So I welcome uh, your calls coming up at 773-763-9278. 
Remember, 773-763-WCPT, 773-763-9278, and we'll be back in two minutes and two seconds to take your calls. Hey, back. Back with you on Kitchen Table Progressive for uh, Sunday evening, December 17th, 2023, a week before Christmas Eve. Uh, and let's get right to the phones. Uh, uh, Jim in Chicago is on. And, Jim, you wanted to talk about democratic messaging. Is that right? Yeah, yes, yes, Paul. I'm glad you're here after three hours Christmas Eve. It sounds like fun. I'll have to get some decent whiskey that day. Anyway. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to say. Now, to me, this sounds awfully simple. If you could get each state's legislative body to send out people for petitions to get a pro-choice bill on the ballot November of 2024, you would almost guarantee a huge turnout. And when you think about it, it's the young people that are really involved with pro-choice because everybody offers 60 for instance, women and so on and so forth. They've already been through the mill. And they're not really that interested in the one way or the other. You know what I mean? It would drive the the uh, the Democratic vote up. It's, yeah. it's obvious to me. And I mean, I don't know what you think, but I think it'd be obvious. Now, yeah. I just real quick, and I, I, I'm Irish. In Ireland, you couldn't get a divorce until God knows when. And then they passed gay marriage. They're the first country to pass uh, same-sex marriage. And then the abortion issue came by. And a woman had lost a baby, similar to this Texas thing, where the woman uh, had a stillbirth that lost her life, apparently. And anyway, once the Irish people got, got whiffed of that, they're like, well, no, we can't let this happen again. We, we can never let this happen again. So they passed it about about 70 to 30, or let's say two-thirds to a third, something, the same as it is in the United States. But my, I'm just arguing, how do we get this initiative on the ballot on time for this 2024 election? Any ideas? Well, I think that you've got a good point there. I think the abortion issue is really strong. And what you point out about Ireland, which is, I, I mean, the fact that, that the United States has gone backwards on abortion... <laughs> it's just compared to Ireland is ludicrous. It's, I mean, Ireland is. I don't know officially, but is is it officially? It's practically a Catholic country. Oh right? yeah, yeah. So uh, it's, yeah, always it's always been Catholic. In fact, the Irish yeah. Catholics are so reliably Democrats that they've been Democrats since they swam here. But anyway, yeah. I, yeah. But but I, I think you're right. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say be, this about. About what you were saying about going, first of all, the one thing that you hit on, and I've heard from uh, uh, Democratic, uh, the office that I'm associated with, is that the door-to-door, face-to-face contact is the biggest thing that's making a difference uh, everywhere. Uh, phone calling, you know, they've just given up on. As I used to go in and do, uh, you know, we used to have, to, what do we call it, uh, active... I don't know. I take action Saturdays, and, and we don't do them anymore because they decided it's just a waste of time. You don't get through to anybody, and you don't make any progress. But going door to door, 
And I've made some suggestions about things they could do, like pass out a repeal. Uh, even things that don't even, don't even really, you can't even do, gets people's, gets people's uh, juices going. Like the Supreme Court talk about that. Oh, I know what it was. I wanted to um, set, I wanted to pass out, and when we go door to door, to pass out po- stamped postcards that already made out to a Supreme Court justice, and you just write on what you want to say to them and then put it in the mailbox. I mean, that would be... <laughs> Yeah, but this is but this is definitely a grunt work kind of thing where you've got to get younger people out there, like standing in supermarkets or whatever, and get signatures. You've got enough signatures to get this on the ballot. It has to be on the ballot mm-hmm. at every state, especially uh, for this critical election to stop right. nothing well, from winning the thing. Anyway, Paul, you just – but anyway, I know you were going to talk about abortion, but you go ahead. And I'm looking forward uh, to next week. Can you, yeah, yeah I, I, I just – I think you're right. Um, I mean, Michigan did it, and look what happened. Michigan, after 40 years, flipped the state to completely blue. By the way, I think Gretchen Whitmer is that, – that state is really going in the right direction, and, and I think Gretchen Whitmer is a front-runner for 2028. I believe that she will be – the most powerful Democratic candidate for the 2028 cycle. And because she'll just be finishing up her term, her second term as governor, she can claim huge victories in Michigan. And then uh, she's uh, she's young. She's very likable. Uh, I, I think she's going to be. Uh, 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 she's a, a fabulous candidate. I agree. Yeah. She's a fabulous candidate. But this issue, it's got to be precise and it's got to be. Uh, uh, it's got to be synchronized where it's right on the ballot, right on time for this election. Anyway, Paul, thanks a million. Thank you. Hey, thanks, uh, thanks, Jim. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, I'll, good, good points. I, I, I think the door to door and and getting the the hot issues out to the even Republicans when you talk to them face to face, they somehow become more reasonable. Anyway, uh, let's go to uh, Steve on the Gold Coast. Wants to talk about the National Popular uh, Vote Act. Steve, you, are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, and, and I think it's, a, it's an interesting topic, uh, uh, in that, uh, especially given how askew elections have become, in the la- certainly in the 20th, 21st century. For much of the history of this country, it, the system worked fairly well in that the popular vote and the electoral college vote were fairly synonymous with some notable exceptions. But going into the 21st century, and how many elections do we have to go through? I mean, Al Gore won by over half a million votes nationally, you know, yet lost the presidency. And you can you can go forward in election after election, and it's and it's growing with every success, successive election. You know, yeah. I mean, we, we thought that the, the margin by which Hillary Clinton won w- was significant until Joe Biden's um, decisive victory over Trump. And and there comes a point at which people are just saying to themselves, "Okay, this is just ridiculous." That the, the people in Wyoming literally have exponentially more voting power than the people in California and New York because of the yeah. system. Is that fair? You know, and, and, and that's and that's the problem is when when it doesn't begin to reflect what the American people want, then then, yes, it, it is a problem. And not only that, but in, in places where really there is no contest, like we, we all know how Texas is going to go. We all know how California is going to go. And, and, and but that, that's really true for about, you know, 40 out of the 50 states. And, and, and that means that in a lot of those states where you do where you might have Republicans or Democrats, People just don't turn out to vote. The, the, the turnout is depressed because it's, it's already a foregone conclusion. And that means that they don't turn out to vote for other candidates as well. And it's just not a healthy thing for our democracy. So it's not just right. that, you know, that it's not healthy in terms of who's winning uh, for that, that high office. It's not healthy for the democracy because, again, people are just saying to themselves, well, you know, I mean, California, what good is it going to do? I mean, uh, my guy's not going to win. 
if I'm in Orange County, then, you know, why am I going to turn out to vote for other people? And and that and what you do see is exactly that. You see that the votes are depressed in states that are pretty much a foregone conclusion. And you see much more turnout in states with the, uh, where you see competitive races for, for the presidency. So, yeah, do you see, there's all sorts of reasons. Let, let me ask you. Uh, yeah, there's also uh, because the, can I ask just let me jump in here, Steve, and ask you a question uh, that uh, in terms of the so-called electoral college, the, the reason for it. Having been one was, well, you know, we don't want the small states to feel like they're completely counted out. But as you pointed out, that's really not what's in play here. Well, I mean, it comes down to a half a dozen states that are not small states that are the swing states that's the, that are the issue. It's not as those small states are in many ways a foregone conclusion. Don't you, do you agree with that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what, what this is going to come down to is, look, uh, the, the Republican Party relies upon, you know, the, basically the uh, the injustices of, of the systemic structure that exists uh, that allows them to retain power. So you're going to have a huge problem trying to get them to relinquish power in, 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 in this regard, because they know that the, uh, the status quo means that they have a better chance of being able to secure the, the presidency. Uh, if you go to a strictly popular vote, you know, they're going to say to themselves, OK, we're probably never going to win another election unless we, you know, we completely remake our party. Right. Well, they, they're, they're on their way to doing it. They're on their way to doing that. Would you also agree that. Uh, most people, uh, I don't know what percentage of I mean, you're the political science professor. Uh, they don't realize that they don't. Ha- they don't really understand that they do not have uh, a, a constitutional right to vote for president. Do you, do you think most people they don't realize that? Do they? Hello. Yes. Are you there? Hello. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I guess I lost you for a second there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was just. I was saying is that as with all your you know study and knowledge of of politics, politics uh, as, as a political science professor, would you agree that most people, I mean, and probably a lot more people in red states, they don't really understand that they do not have a constitutional right to vote for president, that they don't, re- they, this is part of their state legislatures, what they have, the state legislatures have bestowed upon the people since the, uh, eight, the election of 1880. Um, they, do, they don't really have a right. And if they, if they really understood that, I actually think in red states that they really understood that, no, you don't really have a right. You're being given a right. They talk about how uh, our rights come from God. Well, no, you're right. Your right to vote for president just came from your state legislature. And in your state, which if it's Missouri or some right wing state, they might just take that away. And they can. Right. They can. Yeah, I mean, they can. Right. I mean, basically, from from the time that this country was founded, there was this sort of anti-federalist movement, you know, the desire to put a check on the federal government. So we said, OK, we're going to have a presidential election. But in terms of how that takes place, that's up to each individual state to decide how you want to do this. Yes. And right. and therefore, we, we, we've empowered them to do it in whatever way they want. So that's why you have all sorts of different systems. And in the end, you know, when it comes time, you know, for most Americans, you know, until January 6th happened, most of them didn't even know how that system worked. They knew that on election night, by the end of the night, you pretty much uh, you, you had a winner and a loser. Uh, and everything else was just a formality. Uh, it's, right. it's only after January 6th that a lot of Americans woke up and realized that now, OK, that's that's just what, what the media and, and other outlets have, de- have declared in terms of, you know, who, who won. Uh, but there's but that doesn't necessarily mean it's actually tabulated the votes and it doesn't mean we certified anything. And so well, and also a sort of lesson in civics. Right. Uh, also, and I'm going to talk about one of the big lies that Rudy Giuliani told uh, in Michigan with his uh, uh, cohort that sounded like she was three sheets to the wind. Uh, uh, I'll get into the details of that. This is simply not possible to count all the votes by the end of election night anymore. 
Uh, and so you can't just say, I mean, we used to know that. I don't know why we, it was easier. Well, we had fewer people in the, in the, in the nation, but uh, it's just, yeah, people don't understand that, that, that they don't have a right to vote, that this, they don't really understand what their position is uh, or, or, or what rights they do have. And I, I, I think that if people really understood, if there was a way to get that out to them, that you don't have a right to vote and there's a way that we can make it. And do you agree that it would take a constitutional, a right to vote amendment as part of the Constitution? Yeah. Once we get rid of the Electoral College, part of that amendment has to be a national right to vote, doesn't it? Oh, I, I absolutely agree. Now, here, here's where you have the, the problems or the hurdles, however you want to you know, describe it. So you, you're going to have to get past a lot of control that exists in terms of Republican control of this process. And assuming that you could do that, uh, you have a Supreme Court, and I have absolutely no faith in this Supreme Court with regard to whatever challenges someone might bring, yeah, because they are not about, you know, an objective interpretation of, of the intent of the people of the Constitution. They are partisans. You know, at this point, I mean, I can't think of a court that has been more partisan in the last century. So uh, mm-hmm. it's a Herculean task. It's one worth doing. But we should recognize all the obstacles that go, go with it. So, I mean, Donald Trump, long after he's dead. This court will still be there, and his legacy will live on through that because we have decades uh, of having to live with what this court decides. And I'm at, at some point uh, open to the idea of starting to, to talk. Oh. Did we lose Steve again? Oh, Steve. I have an iPhone. Anyway, okay, I, I'm sorry about that. I, oh, are you there, Steve? Hello, hello. Yeah, yeah sorry, keep going, keep going. Yeah, 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 all right. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, 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 so I mean, let me, let me ask you this. Yeah, is, is the sentiment in, in academia amongst your colleagues the same as yours about, about the court and the same as mine? Oh, I think by and large, yes. I mean, with the exception of, of a few people who pretty much are of the opinion that, well, you know, this is the system, and sometimes you get a court that's that's slanted one way or the other. You know, that from arch conservatives, they'll tell you, you know, that the, that the courts of the 1950s, 60s, and 70s were slanted in a way that, you know, was unfair to conservatives. I, I, I disagree with that, but okay, that's their argument. But for, for the vast majority of scholars, even, even very many conservative ones, they agree that the, the process by which we got here, I mean, you know, so a justice dies and it's six months out before an election. No, no, no. Uh, Barack Obama, somewhere out of whole cloth, we decided you can't pick another justice, you know. But somebody dies a couple of months out. Oh, yeah, no, we're going to replace that person right away. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, there's nothing fair about this. The, the system is flawed to begin with. I mean, this idea that, that, that especially given the, the role of judicial review in our, in our system, that the, the idea of how we select Supreme Court justices and how long they can serve, um, and with no oversight, they're pretty much a body that polices themselves. And we've all seen what's happened in the past few years with regard to the kind of ethics. Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, okay, uh, the last time that a, the a chief justice of the Supreme Court was was chosen by a Democrat, how old would you have to be to uh, do, do you know how old you'd have to be to have been alive the last time a Supreme the chief justice of the Supreme Court was uh, was chosen by a Democrat? You would have to be at this time seventy seven years old. It was nineteen forty six. 
the last time the last time Chief Justice of the Supreme Court was chosen by um, Harry S. Truman in 1946. That's the last time a, a Democrat, and they whine about the court. And not only that, before uh, b- before the, the, the justices, they, the right wing whines about, so I can name a, a dozen that were selected by Republicans. That they went, I mean, it, it's not just the David Suiters that they, it's not just David Souter. It, it, they, they, that's when they said no more. Or the Federalist Society said no more David Souters. They don't even they don't they they they, they scoff at Sandra Day O'Connor, but go back all the way to uh, Harlan Fisk Stone. Go back to uh, Benjamin Cardozo. These were the Benjamin Cardozo was the jur- the premier jurist of his day. He wrote the book on tort law when he was a, 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 a as a New York judge, and and he was re- he was appointed by. By Herbert Hoover, and so was Charles Evans Hughes, who, by the way, had been on the court earlier in the Edward Douglas White court. He had been a, he was a formerly a corporate lawyer. He was a corporatist who who kind of woke up as chief justice of the Supreme Court and passed the the national minimum wage uh, in Paris versus West Coast hotels. I mean, this is there. You, it can just go on and on and on. Uh, I mean, there were. Uh, 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 Eisenhower passed uh, passed the uh, or, or appointed Earl Warren. Yeah, it goes it goes on. Uh, okay, that was a great discussion. Thanks for calling, Steve. Uh, sorry about your phone. Please do call again because I really, really, really uh, value your your views and uh, enjoy talking with you. Thanks. So thanks for calling in today. And uh, we'll be right back uh, after uh, yeah, just a few minutes to uh, wrap it up here. I want to talk about uh, abortion a little bit and uh, Rudy Giuliani's. Uh, lies. Thanks. Hey, back with you again here on Kitchen Table Progressive. Paul Richardson with you here on AM820 WCPT, uh, Chicago's Progressive Talk, and since time goes fast, and uh, we have another caller on, it's Dave from Hoffman Estates. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Thanks for calling. Hey, Paul. I'll be, I'll be yeah. real quick. I don't care to lie a lot. On, you mentioned with um, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, I think another half would be a, be a killer team would be if she and uh, Wes Moore, governor of Maryland, teamed up. Uh-huh. Not carry either one to president because uh, I don't know if you've read uh, Wes Moore's biographies. He, no, I haven't. He, he's, uh, he's a Rhodes Scholar, mm-hmm. uh, war hero. He had been in Afghanistan and everything. He was the 82nd Airborne. So he'd be a combat veteran, Rhodes Scholar. And he um, he would uh, out, outdo uh, Kamala. He's a um, Cuban-Jamaican black mixture. Right. Good man. Well, I think, yeah, really I think Kamala... Yeah, I think Kamala is going to have a run for her money if she decides to run. But I think that uh, Gretchen Whitmer is going to come out of nowhere, and, and she's going to be really, really strong. Uh, I, I there will be. I, I think it's going to be a very strong field in twenty twenty eight. There's a lot so right it, now, even. But like uh, uh, mm-hmm. Wes Moore, he didn't. He said that he wasn't going to do it till like 
2024 or something like that, or not 24, but 28, he was being a good soldier. He's not going to go rattle it that way. And uh, well, I, I do think, hope they look at it. I think it's you know? smart. I, I don't. Yeah, they well, I, I don't think you can. I mean, as first of all, as much as Joe Biden has been kind of poo pooed, uh, for lack of a better word in my brain at this moment, um, that he came on strong. He won convincingly last time. He's had a very successful term in office, much better than I expected. Uh, I, I just thought he. I thought he's. I think he's done a, just a, a great job. I have no complaints. <laughs> really about him uh but i i do think that so in other words there are others who could be who could be you know maybe more favorable competitors but it's all we're always in this position of like well but not right now not now not now cato not now <laughs> you know um because he's up if nothing else he's he's set the table in many ways you know yeah and, and it also the other thing is take over for him right and the other thing is uh, presuming, and I, I do presume, and I and I, I think it's uh, that he that, that President Biden wins re-election. Uh, along with that, we're going to see. I do believe we will see very uh, uh, very nice coattails on the victory. There will be the that the Democrats will gain in state legislatures and in the Congress, and the, the Republicans are really going to have to regroup in terms of. Uh, figuring out what they're going to do. So they, they, they will have to figure out what a whole new theory of, of their party, a whole new philosophy, political philosophy, whereas the Democrats have up-and-coming, real solid candidates. Like Gretchen Whitmer's only 50 or something. 50, she's in her early 50s. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, as you, you, and then I think Gavin Newsom will still be around. There'll be a, there'll be a strong field in Kamala. Kamala will will still be there, but I think she will get a run for her money uh, as well. Uh, it, it will be a strong field, yeah. and uh, I don't I don't think that you know I, I don't think the Republicans are going to where I don't they, they've destroyed Donald Trump has destroyed their bench. Donald Trump basically fragged Donald Trump fragged their bench back in 2016, and I said it then is that the way yeah. he dispensed of all of the other candidates in such a humiliating way. First of all, I mean, there were 15 others who would, I, I said that then, none of these people will ever be back. None of them. And no. especially I mean, people who are competent, they, they, who would put themselves through that again? Uh, except for yeah. the, the ones who really have a, you know, a fetish for pain. I mean, that, just, just those kind. Uh, and uh, this, this, this time, you know, I don't know. They couldn't stand up. They couldn't stand up to this one man. How are they going to stand up to some of these other world leaders here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, if they can't stand up to this bully, it's just yeah. Don't tell me you can stand up to anybody else. That's you're absolutely right, Dave. That's that's yeah. that's for sure. It, it's Jeff, just been such a chance, If you get a chance to look up on Westmore, I think that would be a killer uh, uh, team. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I would be mm-hmm. fine with either one. You know, as, as the president or the vice president. You know, either or. But because if I recall right. When President Biden was running, you know, uh, during the primary, he had said, I promise that I would put a black woman as a Supreme yeah. Court justice, which he did. Yeah. She did. And then the next thing he said, I promise to have a woman vice president. Well, 
It didn't set well with the, the blacks when I said that you got to vote for a brown or a black lady, or we ain't mm-hmm. voting for you. And he was on his like, third bite of the apple for president, so he was figuring you know, he ain't got many more <laughs> campaigns yeah. to do. So, but I never, yeah. you know, that because I think he was leading to Amy Klobuchar. That time. Yeah, that might that that might have been that might have been the case too. But also, hey, don't forget that. Uh, uh, JB Pritzker might be interested in running yep, in yep. 2028. So yeah, I, I think there's, there's yeah, you're, you're correct. So on that's that. I'd strong... be okay with it too because he he's been really good being a Cold War vet. That they, his sister's got that uh, funded that one up in uh, Wisconsin, the Cold War Museum in that uh, Veterans yeah. Museum back in the, but uh, right. they're, they're very big on veterans. You know the mm-hmm. the Pritzker family. They got downtown. They got a military museum. It's for right. military, so and he's done. Uh, he's done real good in, in Illinois. So listen, I've been eating up a bunch of time. You got you were going to cover some other stuff, but I'll just leave you with this. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, actually yeah. I, I'm actually really really I, I'm I'm happy to talk to callers, uh, but you okay. know that's so uh, well, I've been, anyway. In my 16 years, I don't like to tie it up more than five minutes because people want to talk, but uh, the doesn't uh, you're talking about abortion? Doesn't Mexico used to do abortions too? Yeah, that's interesting. How they uh, these uh, some these states are going to prevent you from going to another state? Are they going to prevent you from leaving the country for health care? I mean, you know, Mexico. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of places. Uh, well, Central America, especially, uh, people go on medical vacations, especially for dental care. I knew somebody, yeah, uh, fr- friend of mine who who lost all of her teeth um, from diabetes. She got had gestational diabetes, um, but she's lost all of her teeth. And yeah, she went to she went to Mexico to get you know to dental work done because it's just what she yeah. needed was just so damn expensive. I mean, dental work here. If you need dental work, anything extensive, if you aren't just stinking filthy rich, you might as well forget it because dental insurance isn't yeah. worth it. It's they don't it doesn't cover anything, so you're going to end up paying it out a lot of pocket anyway. Fortunately, knock on where's some wood here uh, that I I have I don't have great. I don't have a great set of teeth, but I don't have any problems with them. I, I have, it's just, yeah. you know, I haven't, but yeah, that can happen at start at any time. But so far, I have not had any problems with my teeth compared to a lot of people. I I have about six mm-hmm. or eight fillings, um, but, you know, I don't, I don't, it's like I said, my dad had, I have my dad's teeth. They're very, they're very good. They're very hard, yeah. but uh, I don't have a, a great, um, you know, I don't have a great bite and all that stuff. And, and if you don't have that, then that causes gum recession and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, <laughs> nobody wants to know about that. Now we're getting into the weeds. The, uh, anyway. But, like, when, when you and Jim were talking about Ireland being a Catholic country, I'm quite sure that Mexico itself is all totally Catholic, correct? Sure. Well, did you know yeah, in, so. the Mexican-American, in the Mexican-American War, Irish-American fighters defected to Mexico? They were... Uh, they were standing. Uh, they were going to be hanged. They had to stand and wait till the treaty was signed before yeah. they before they were hanged. They they hanged about four hundred of them. The uh, yeah. uh, defe- yeah. Irish Irish Catholic Americans who defected to the to the to Mexico and and yeah, that was a the, it was a horrific. And they were they were all beaten. They were all whipped practically to death. They were practically crucified. Yeah. And then they had to stand. Then they had to stand with their necks in a noose. Until the treaty was signed, and then they were all hanged. Oh boy! So, yeah, I was just, anyway, let me hey, look, let me cut yeah. off. But uh, 
I okay. just thought I'd throw them a couple of little tidbits there and I'll put you in uh, and sure. maybe next week there'll be something again. But the, Oh, there'll be well, there'll, I, there'll be lots of time next yeah. week. Uh, so, okay, thanks for calling. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. With the holiday weekend and everything and that. And, yeah, I'll be up. we will have three up. hours. Yeah. Oh, and, you're and also, I'll be on from uh, yeah from from uh, yeah four to seven all through the family meeting, both next week and the following, and also New Year's Eve. So on New Year's Eve, we'll have the same extended uh, uh, Kitchen Table Progressive, so there'll be lots to talk about uh, if people are interested in talking about it. So anyway, there'll be... But next week, it won't be too heavy politics. Okay, thanks, Dave. No, no, well, that's like, I don't know if you were listening this morning, I mentioned on uh, Dan and Meg's show that uh, back years ago when Dick Casio, back in 2010, where where he just did a they uh, taunt for one one show. Um, right. It happened to be on Christmas Day, and he he played Christmas music, and then he took calls, and people yep. said their their stories of their favorite Christmas you know uh, memory and that. That was really yeah. nice, really really nice. Yeah, well, I kind of anyway. I kind of have this sort of thing, yeah, in mind. Okay, cool. Yeah. Anyway, talk to you maybe next thanks. week, then, Paul. Have a good one. Yeah. Be well. Thanks, thanks, thanks very much. Okay, thank you, Dave. Thanks for calling. Hey, hey, great, great calls this week. I'm uh, really excited um, to ha- to be expanding in the in the listenership to call. It's great. I really enjoy that. I, it just makes it so much f- more fun and rather than me. But uh, let's see. I don't know how, how much uh, time we got left here. Um, uh, oh, just a few minutes. Okay, so um, I I wanted to talk about the uh, amongst. I won't get into abortion. We don't have enough time, but. Amongst the, the lies that Rudy Giuliani told, uh, and the media just fell right flat down. Didn't even they didn't even bother to verify even the easiest things that the, by, you could think of. So when he went to Michigan to testify before the Michigan State Legislature about all of the fraud that had taken place, uh, and he had with him that that woman. I'm not going to say her name because I don't want to, to uh, get into any uh, you know legal. I don't want to, I want her to sue me for anything that I say that she thinks is incorrect but uh, but she's a liar. <laughs> she's the one who said that she was witnessing observing election counting at the big center in Detroit and said that she saw these people uh stuff in. They were stuffing in 30,000 ballots. They restuffed them back into the machine. They put they just by the armful, by the armloads. They were just stuffing them back in. And and she she sounded like she was she'd had about a half a dozen double martinis at that time, and she was saying, "I you know I signed a thing that says if, if I'm lying I go to jail." And I'm like, you know what? Uh, whatever thing that was called an affidavit, uh, I think you should be in jail. Except for the fact that neither Rudy Giuliani nor this particular person were ever sworn in. The legislature did not swear them in, which means they were just set up to lie. They can lie all they want in front of the legislature. But what she said about 30,000 ballots she saw stuffed back in, when I heard this on the news and I was kind of laughing at this, I had just ordered or uh, I had just purchased a, a ream of printer paper, you know, 500 sheets, eight and a half by 11. I was sitting on my desk. I go, 30,000 ballots. That's like, this is 500 sheets of paper. Is that 60 of these things? 60? Well, of course, this is printer paper. Ballots are much, much heavier stock, you know. So I said, this thing is eight and a half by 11 by, how thick? About three inches thick. So 60 of them, I said, well, 
if I if I put six of them end to end, that would be sixty six inches. That's five and a half feet, and then stack them ten high times three inches. That's thirty inches. So this is a wall of paper that's five and a half feet wide by 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 two and a half feet tall. And if it's heavy stock, it might be closer to about uh, four feet tall. Then they were stuffing them by the armloads, right? Yeah. And then I decided to call the clerk's office in the town where my mom lives in Michigan. I said, how long does it take this for a ballot to go through a, the counting machine? And she said, about five to six seconds. And I said, five to six seconds? I said, well, she said, yeah, about six seconds if there's write-in. There. But otherwise, if there's no write-in, about five seconds. I said, so so 30,000 times five is 150,000. She started laughing because I think she knew what I was talking about. I, she said, are you talking about it? And she said the new one. I said, yeah. But anyway, nobody ever checked to see that how long you'd have to stand there to watch that happen was... 41 hours and 40 minutes is how long she would have had to stand there and watch those 30,000 ballots restuffed into the machine and counted twice. Which they said we never had a 30,000 vote overcount. Nope, but that's how long it would take. 41 hours and 40 minutes. A complete lie. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next week uh, here on Kitchen Table Progressive right here on AM 820. Uh, at uh, WCPT every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. following the family meeting. Next week, the extended edition of Kitchen Table Progressive. Three hours here on AM 820 WCPT Chicago's Progressive Talk where facts matter. HeartlandSignal.com